Well, we're glad for all of you that are able to come out today. Those who are watching in the streaming, we appreciate that. But it's kind of fun to see you gathered here. There's the things that you can't see when you're sitting in your living room that I get to see here. I get to see uh, an older gentleman with his lovely uh, daughter-in-law or some relation holding hands while they were singing that song. I love that. I tell you, this is when we know we're family. Is when we know that God has forgiven us our sins, has set us free, cleansed us. Aren't you glad you're set free and from all that sin? Amen. 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 I'm assuming that the roar really came from the people that were <clears throat> watching. But um, well, we've been looking at this passage now in Matthew 18 for a while, and Jesus is teaching us really about His church. He said in Matthew 16 that having asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And uh, then Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. This is the very foundation. I'm the cornerstone of the redemption of mankind. I'm going to build my church. And then he tells us exactly what that is. In verse 21 of chapter 16, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. We've been singing about that this morning. This, mess, this verse right here, verse 21, is the central message of the cross of Christ. This is why he came. He did other things to prove that he is the Christ. But this is why he came. This is the centerpiece of Christ's redemptive work. It is the hope that we have in what he's done. Now, if, if this verse here is the centerpiece of all that Christ is doing, then what I read in this portion of scripture that we have today, it is the application of that centerpiece of the finished work of Christ. Only he can pay for our sins. But we have the privilege then of applying that to our lives through this avenue called forgiveness, that we can be forgiven. Now, Peter actually picked up right on that theme pretty quickly from what we talked about last week. You, you recall the setting here. Jesus places a child upon his lap, and then he begins to teach, and he says, answering them, who's the greatest? And he said, really, the greatest is one who can become like a child, and that humility, that teachability, that trustingness that comes with loving God. And then he said, we're family. This is what we talked about last week. We shouldn't cause other people to stumble. In fact, we should be deeply concerned about others when they struggle. We should go to them. And then if we can't uh, draw them back into the fold, then take somebody with us. We need help. We need more help than take the church. And finally, we are to share the gospel with them if they have no indication that they even know the Lord. Well, even though forgiveness is not mentioned in this portion of Scripture, we do understand that Peter grasped exactly what Jesus was talking about. He knew it was forgiveness. And so he asked the question, oh, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother? Uh, seven times. And then the passage develops from there. And what we're going to learn then from Peter's response and Jesus' response to Peter, we're really going to learn that there is no time in our lives that we look more like Jesus than when we're forgiving others, those who have wronged us. I believe that. I can tell you many, many times in my role as pastor of having sat with people 
who were uh, uh, struggling, and a couple or uh, family members, and they've had disagreements together and, and pain. And I've, I've sat with them, and confessions have been made, and I've heard those words, in the name of Jesus, I forgive you. I can recall a time that I sat with a, with a couple for over uh, almost nearly three hours, and the man was sharing all of his failures with his wife. I sat there and I listened to that, and I was, uh, it was a little bit embarrassing because it was so personal, and yet at the same time, I was glad that I could be there, and I watched her then look to her husband and say, I forgive you. I forgive you. I excused myself from the room for a few minutes and then came back in, and I didn't know this woman that well. But I said, may I say something to you, please? And I'd like to give you a hug, if that would be okay. And she said, okay. And she's not one that I learned later is a toucher, (laughs) you know, not one of those huggers. (laughs) But she allowed me to give her a hug, and as I hugged her, I whispered into her ear, nowhere have I seen the face of Jesus as I have today. There's a beauty that we give to each other in forgiveness. Can you imagine then that when she said, I forgave you, she was also confessing that she was going to assume a burden in her life. Anytime we forgive others, it is the process, and we'll see that in the passage, that we assume a burden. She was going to have to carry that forgiveness, not to bring it up again, you know, it's done, it's under the blood. That's a huge, huge burden to bear. That's part of forgiveness. But I love what Adrian shared with us about the woman caught in sin and, and then those who came and they were hypocritical about the whole thing and the, only the woman was there, not the man. There was a level of hypocrisy. But then um, when they began to drift away and then can you imagine when Jesus said those words, she thought she was going to a burial and she heard resurrection words from Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. I tell you, that ought to be sweet to all of our ears. And uh, as Jeff said, if we all could just be transparent with each other for a while, uh, we probably wouldn't be as friendly as we think we are. But you know something? Jesus forgave us our sins. It cost him something, too, to do that. Well, we want to look at the passage. We actually have four points that we want to make today. First of all, we'll see the response of Peter. Then we see Jesus's expanding Peter's understanding and ours as well. We see a beautiful illustration that he shares with us. And then he gives us a serious warning. Now, we need to understand that when we talk about forgiveness in any relationship, there are certain things that are required if we're going to have an ongoing relationship. I share this with couples when, I'm, when I used to marry them, that I'd say that these are foundational truths that I'm going to share with you, that you're never done loving the other person, you're never done accepting the other person, and you're never done forgiving that other person. Many relationships have fallen apart because of the latter. They have refused to forgive and they've camped themselves in bitterness and unforgiveness. And it's spoiling their soul. 
It's like a cancer that eats away. And it runs not only their lives, but the lives that they touch as well as that. Jan and I have said something to each other from the first part of our marriage that we continue to say, because we're still human. If you're, uh, if you're looking for a relationship that doesn't have any difficulties and never has to ask for forgiveness, uh, you'll never find a deep relationship there because all of us are human. Not that we set out to sin, not that we set out to injure people, but we just mess up at times. And we have said to each other that there is nothing you can do or say And this is the crucial part, this part, that in the name of Jesus, I cannot forgive you. Because he said, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, we're to forgive just as God in Christ has forgiven us. If God can forgive me and I have the power of God within me, I have the spirit of God within me, I can forgive others. It's not a matter of can we forgive It really is a matter of, will we forgive? Will we be restored? It is a choice that we must must make. We'll see that not to make that choice is severe consequence. So turn with me to the passage that we have this morning. It's in Matthew chapter 18, and we finish up the chapter, and it begins in verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord... How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Then Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have that means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment to be made. So the slave fell on the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Now that's a much, much, much smaller amount. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slaves fell to the ground and began to plead with him, Having patience, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him into prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves, this would be those that were gathered in the same plane. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summonsing him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt because you, could, you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he could repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father 
will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. So we really address uh, the thoughts today in the terms of, um, is there someone you need to forgive? Or is there someone you need to seek forgiveness from? Or is it possible that you're here or listening and you find yourself in a position where you have been harboring unforgiveness, not just for days or months, but literally for years? And if I were to address whatever that offense that happened to you, even right now, the venom would flow out of you. The anger would come. And you could recite what had happened to you as if it had happened in that very moment. And your soul has been poisoned because of your lack of forgiveness. I wish that I could say that I'd heard that very seldom in my life. But I've heard it way too often. I remember listening to a man as he shared with me for over an hour an incident that had happened in his life five years prior to that. And as I was listening to it, it was as if I was hearing current events. And he unfolded everything that happened. And when I listened to him after about an hour to an hour and a half, close to two hours, I said to him, I said, you know something? It seems to me that you would like to kill those people that injured you that way. Man, his eyes gleamed and he said, I would. And I said, the problem is you can only kill them once. And they've been killing you over and over and over again. They just killed you again today. Do you want to be set free from that? I asked him. He said, I need to be set from, free from that. And I will tell you then, I said, this is how you can do it. You need to forgive those people. And he raised up out of his chair, leaned over towards me, looked me square in the eye with anger. And he said, I will never forgive them. Now, there were two people that had injured them. And when he got up, and I was not saying this facetiously, nor was I trying to embarrass him in any way, I just simply said, then what I must say to you is I must say goodbye to all three of you. Because he'd been carrying around these two people and this offense that had happened years before. That may strike us more keenly because all of us in human reactions have been wronged in some way. That may linger with us longer than it ever should. So with those three things as a backdrop, do I need to forgive someone? Do I need to seek forgiveness? Or have I just had a root of bitterness of unforgiveness resting in my heart? God, what do you want me to do with that? So I see here that Peter, first of all, responds. And he has it really right. He knew that Jesus was talking about forgiveness, and he knew it was going to be costly. And he said, should I forgive seven times? Now, we might say, wow, Peter, that's the best you could do. May I say to you that I've heard conversations where people have said, you know something? This is not the first time you've done that. This is the second time you've done that. Don't let it happen again. Have you ever said anything like that? This is when you don't get an amen. I mean, have you ever said something like that? This is, go, push me no further. You've reached the limits of my mercy and grace. That's it. Don't go. In fact, the 
rabbinical teaching of the day of Jesus' life, their actual teaching was, if someone offends you one point, forgive them. If they offend you again, forgive them a second time. If they do it a third time, you're not required to forgive them. That's what they were teaching. It's not biblical, but that's what they were teaching. So when you think of this, actually, Peter did pretty well here. He went far beyond even what the rabbinical teaching was. But he had no idea what Jesus was talking about. Now, please understand that Peter knew that there was a cost involved here. He asked the question, how often shall I forgive my brother when he offends me up to seven times? Lord, are you, are you saying to me that I bear the pain and the wrong? I bear the burden, I bear the offense, and I have no recourse on that? I leave that to forgiveness? Really, Lord, is that what you're teaching? I think that's exactly what he's teaching. Now, when we talk about forgiveness, we're not talking about allowing injustice to go on. There's still consequences that will come about. But vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. It's not my personal responsibility to seek revenge. It's my job to forgive. There may be others that are involved who will try to bring about an absolute understanding of truth and bring, bring restitution if necessary. But when I forgive, I have no expectation that any of that will come about. Now you say, well, how can we possibly do that? Now let's get personal again if we can. How many times have you been before the Lord asking forgiveness for the same thing? Three times. Seven times. Or maybe you've lost track. Maybe you've even approached the Lord and you say, Lord... I'm back in your presence again. That which I told you I would never do again. Under no circumstances will I do that. And oh God, in the weakness of my flesh, in the foolishness of my soul, I did it again. And what do we ask? Will you forgive me, Lord? John tells us in John, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, That if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You see, I think the Lord, in what he's going to say in a moment, what the Lord knew and what John grasped is that this journey of our lives, called a spiritual journey, is filled with failure. Now, we're not like Romans has talked about, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? No, God forbid it. We're not giving license to sin. I think what we're saying here, even as Jesus said to the woman who called in adultery, what he's saying is, I understand life is hard. I understand that there will be those times that you will stumble, you will fail. You don't have to stay in your failure. There is a recourse And for Peter, we could come back seven times. And I can recall times in my own life. I remember one man years and years ago, uh, before we even had this building up here. It had to be in the 1980s. And I knew about this man's life. I had witnessed some of the uh, carnage that he had brought into families and homes. And I I thought, what's going to happen? And this man came to church. 
He came to church. I couldn't believe it. He came to church, heard a message I was preaching, came forward, and he said, what do I need to do to get right with God, to get forgiveness for my sins? Now, I said in regards to him, why does God allow him to live? And when he told me, he said, what can I do? I said, well, the first thing you need to do is to thank God that I'm not God. Because you'd be gone. And God taught me about mercy again that day. And I watched this man weep and confess before God. You see, God is trying to teach us that forgiveness is part of our lives, not only personally. And here's the thing that we often do. Lord, I want your mercy. I want your grace. Please forgive me. Please, God, render justice to these people. We have a double standard. It's not what the family of God is all about. So what uh, the second point then is that Jesus expanded the meaning of forgiveness. And he said, no, uh, Peter, it's not seven times. It's, it's 70 times seven. And I don't believe that he's literally doing that, you know. Uh, if that would be the case, you know, Jan could easily say, you know, you're on about uh, 78 forgivenesses left. And that's it. And after that... I don't have to do this anymore. (laughs) It's not that we're going to keep track of that. We had a lot of fun with us on the hike Friday, and we got off trail there, and I said to the leader, I said, well, I forgive you, and you only have 489 more mistakes to make, and then we're done. What he's talking about is a huge number, an infinity, without measure, unlimited, That's God's forgiveness in that process. Aren't you thankful that God's grace is greater than all our sins? Aren't you thankful that he is ready to embrace us in our failure and over and over again? Now, he sets this model here of 490 times, and he has illustrated it over and over in his life. Obvious example would be Peter when he denied him three times, denied the Lord three times. And it was Jesus who sought him out and restored him. And God does that to us so many times. Now, please understand that the forgiveness and the restoration is in the context of the family where we approach each other in the context of sin. And what he's telling us is that the most important component in the family of God for unity and peace is forgiveness. And if there cannot be forgiveness, there cannot be unity and there will not be one mind. So he's expanded that whole definition, but I love the fact that Jesus gives us pictures so that we can see clearly. Important truths need to be illustrated adequately. And Jesus is a master of that. Knowing that he had just said something enormous to Peter and to the other disciples, he said, well, let me just give you an illustration. Because we actually many times will remember stories more than we remember principles, but the principles are borne out in the story. So he gives this story, and he says that the kingdom of heaven is like this. Notice how he says this. For this reason, for what reason? The forgiveness, the components of what it means to be a family. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Now, this is where we can keenly identify with our 
union with God in heaven because it required the forgiveness of our sins in that process. And he's saying that this is really what it's about. And there was one slave there that had such a debt that he couldn't repay. And all he could do was cry out, please be merciful. That should remind us of our condition before we came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We had a debt we couldn't pay. (laughs) And we turned to God and said, please, God, in your grace and mercy, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And he does. He cleanses us. He calls us his own children in that process. And I love the, uh, the elements that are there. He asks in verse 26, have patience with me and I will repay everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave his debt. All of those are necessary. If you're a self-righteous, judgmental person, you'll never forgive others. You'll always be arrogant about who you are, but you'll never, if there is not an element of compassion. Now, what do we mean by compassion? It means to come alongside with a spirit of passion, really is literally what it means. And how can I possibly come alongside others in a spirit of compassion? I will not unless I understand what Christ has done for me. You see, I I think sometimes we get to the point because uh, we're not as bad as someone else that somehow we've merited salvation, that we deserve it. Let me tell you something, friends. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us measure up. That word there, you know, all of us have sinned, but when that part says falls short of the glory of God, that means in no way do we measure up to what God is all about. And so there has to be an understanding of compassion. You know, because we were children at one point, and we, uh, we know some of the things we did as a child, and we know how we've learned in that process, and then we see our children going through that. I, I don't suppose any of you lied when you were younger, did you? Wow, none of you. Well, I did. I did. And, um, and I remember even dealing with uh, one of my children, and as I was dealing with that child, I loved the creativity of him. He said, Dad, I just spoke to God. And he said, I know you're not lying. <laughs> I wrote that down. I, did, I said, that's worth, that's worth remembering. I said, I don't think so, bud. And I wasn't angry or anything. I said, you know, that's just wrong. You need to think about this some more. Let's process this a little more. Now, why, why could I have compassion on him? Because I know what it was. My whole life, I have, uh, I have smoked maybe five cigarettes. And um, it was really ironic, because you know how stupid we are with our lies. It was ironic that I was sneaking the cigarettes off someone that nobody else knew was smoking. And I was smoking, and then my mom, I, I'd go in the bathroom, and I'd smoke the cigarette in the bathroom. And my mom would ask me, have you been smoking? No. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It was like a friend I was out playing golf with, and he decided he was going to quit smoking cigars, and he smoked one out on the golf course, and he said, do you think my wife will notice? Yeah? Are you kidding but I think, you know, when we know how foolish our lies are, when we know how foolish, we know how 
weak we are in our lives, it's easier to have compassion on others. When I know what my life is, and I believe all compassion is, has to be measured from God's perspective to me, that it flows out to you. And then I have that, then I can extend that. So he gives us the understanding of this compassionate and then merciful forgiveness. Now let me tell you something, when this slave owed that much money to his Lord, when that Lord forgave that debt, it was an enormous sum. It would be like if I had borrowed $10,000 from you and then fell onto hard times and realized I could not repay it, so that we understand the nature of forgiveness, I would come to you and I would say, I'm so sorry, I can't repay the $10,000. Would you please be merciful to me? Now, when that person, and I think we have to think carefully about that, when that person is ready to forgive me, if they choose, they are assuming a huge debt. They will never have that $10,000 back. It's lost to them. This Lord looked over his slave and realized, I'm out this money. I'm going to suffer from this. But because of the compassion and the mercy, he was willing to forgive. And that's what Christ did for us, of course. We see that so well, easily paralleled with us on the cross. Well, the sad part about this thing is, is that this slave then goes out. We, we understand that the illustration expands the compassion and the mercy of forgiveness. We understand Jesus has expanded this. We understand that Peter understands this. But now we come to the, our fourth point, and that is a warning to all who fail to grant liberal forgiveness. This man went out. And there are some very interesting expressions that are here. He went out and he noted, uh, he, he would not forgive. He, he grabbed this guy and began to choke him for a little bit of money that was owed him. And the guy said, you know, I'll, I'll try to repay that. And he said, no, you, you're going to jail. He showed no compassion, no mercy, no forgiveness. It's interesting to observe that the slaves that were observing him That would be like brothers that would be observing us, and we all know what God has done for us in forgiveness, and then they would be watching us exercise less compassion and less mercy than Jesus did for us. And these slaves recognize what in the world, they were shocked, what are you doing? Didn't you learn anything? And they go to the Lord, the the master of these slaves, and and he then says, bring him to me. And, and, and look, he's, he reminds them. And I think Jesus is telling us something here in this illustration. Never forget what I did for you. He said, did I not forgive you this enormous debt? That's the, that's the avenue that lends itself to you forgiving others. I guarantee you, if you lose perspective of what God has done for you, you will not forgive others. You will go after your pound of flesh with great delight. And so what he says is, is that put him in prison. Uh, He will have to repay. Now, there's no thought here of loss of salvation. That's not what we're talking about. But I believe that what Jesus is trying to teach us here is that we impose on ourselves, as a result of our unwillingness to forgive, we impose on ourselves a level level of self-imposed torture that will never set us free until we're willing to say we forgive. Have we not met people, and actually John, um, John Hopkins has done a study on this about the whole issue of forgiveness. Uh, 
And they have witnessed people who have forgiven others who have wronged them. And this is a scientific uh, experiment that they did there. And their uh, blood pressure went down. Their pain was minimized. Even cholesterol was impacted. This is, this is the study that was done. They also see the reverse of this. Do you not understand that when we do not forgive those who have wronged us, we are also wronging ourselves? We carry about with us a root of bitterness. We carry about within us an anger. We carry about within us a vindictive spirit. And uh, we, we, uh, we're, we're poisonous. We're contagious. It's like the cancer of our souls that robs us of joy and peace and purpose and meaning. And, and whenever we're touched in that, that contagious state of our spirituality, it rubs off on others and it immediately exposes them. A man who has been in this very pulpit, a man that I've learned to deeply love, uh, has... Um, and you may not recall, he also did one of our men's conferences, OPMF conferences, uh, Dr. Robert Smith, Jr., African-American, teaches, pastors. But uh, if, if nothing else, he said two things that I will recall probably till I die. And that is men never preach until the message is wrapped around, wrapped around your heart. But then the other thing that he did anticipating God to do something. And I heard, I've heard him do this twice. And he said, asking God, knowing that God has done something in the past, he said, even now, Lord, even now, even now, Lord. Well, Dr. Smith got a phone call in the late night, and it was the police. And they asked to come by his house came by his house to inform him that his son, who was working at a restaurant, closing that restaurant, had been killed by a robber. Now, I can't imagine the pain that goes through a, a parent's heart at that moment, that your son has been killed. He went to the trial of this young man, 18 years old. He went to the trial. He sat back in that in the, in the courtroom there, and he could see the back of this young man's head. And he said, my heart was filled with vindictiveness. My heart was filled with revenge. My heart was filled with unforgiveness. My heart was filled with poisonous wrath against that man. Until God said, have you been forgiven? You must forgive that man. He set out on a mission then to get into the prison where this guy was and able to go. And he shared with the fact, I forgive you. The last part of the testimony that I heard Dr. Smith give, he said, you know, I don't know if this man has ever confessed Christ as his Savior, but I hope one day I'll see this man and my son Tony kneeling before the Lord in glory. Is there somebody you need to forgive? Is there someone you need to seek forgiveness from? Is there the cancer of unforgiveness that's eating your soul now that you need to rid yourself of? Put it under the blood and be free.